Welcome, one and all, to episode 311 of the Signals from Mars live stream slash podcast. This is the audio version, after all. I'm your host, Victor, and during this episode, we bring you the new wave of British heavy metal special. With my patrons, this is a countdown based on the albums and artists that they chose. Here we go. I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay, so this time around, I welcome to the show uh, my patrons, Jeremy, Johan, Brad, and Ed. And this is an episode that's several months in the making because we, um, we decided to talk about New Wave of British Heavy Metal. I told everyone to submit their lists of top 10 favorite bands and albums from the period. The rules were you couldn't select any Motorhead, any Priest, or anything beyond uh, Paul Diano, Iron Maiden. Because, let's face it, every other list that we do, chock full of Iron Maiden already, and what I didn't want to have is a top 10 that was just Iron Maiden. We'll do an Iron Maiden special on that shortly. But in the meantime, uh, this is what we did. So I had everyone submit their lists, and then this is the the result. So we have a top 10, well, we went further than 10 albums, and then I made a top 10 bands based on this list. So uh, real quickly, I do want to send shout-outs to all of my patrons who, without their support, I wouldn't be able to um, (laughs) keep the lights on. I mean, that's not true, but you guys understand. I mean, this is, this is a big deal to me that anyone uh, 13 years into podcasting still follows me and I appreciate it greatly. And the contribution that I get from these patrons from my diehards uh, helps pay for streaming and the album of the week unboxing vinyls that I do. So, I thank all of you people uh, for your contributions. Real quickly here, we'll go newest to oldest. Uh, Chris Sinzak from Decibel Geek Podcast. Anthony Espin in Spain. Gene Eugene DX in Canada. Anthony Mackey in Ireland. He did all the revamped excellent graphics that I've been using. Thank you, Anthony. Although you don't want me to say thank you anymore, but thank you, thank you. (laughs) Uh, Ed the Shred Ferguson, who's on this episode. Johan from Sweden, who's on this episode. Metal Dan, who hopefully we will have back on the episode shortly. Jose in Connecticut. Uh, Much love to uh, the family there after a recent passing. Uh, Chris Faglio from the Chris and Amanda show. The Metal Dentist, Gabriel Ruiz. Your vacation is over, sir. Dr. Poison, Brad Dahl from... Yarg Metal, 
And uh, let's see here. We have. Uh, I'm, I've lost my spot here. Mike Jones, Jeremy Waltman, who's on the episode, Steve Hoker, and Steven Saylor. And we have a. A new patron, and I don't know why it's not showing up. Doesn't show up until next month. That's weird. Yeah, it has join date January 15th, 2022. Oh, so that's earlier this year. This is kind of weird. Anyway, I'll figure this out. Thanks all you guys for being here. And we hope that you enjoy this new wave of British heavy metal episode. Either way, you don't like it, let us know. Mention it on, <laughs> on any of the social media platforms. So um, go to signalsfromars.com to see where you can keep up with all the social media stuff and, and where you can drop us a line and say, you guys are crazy. You didn't include this, this one, but this one's way too high. Anyway, thanks for listening. Here we go. Uh, is this live? Yes, it is. Hey, welcome to the uh, November 25th edition of the Signals from Mars live stream. I am your host, Victor. And going around the horn here, we have Brad Dahl in Utah. We have Ed Ferguson in Kentucky, uh, Johan in Sweden, and Jeremy in England. Good evening. Uh, yeah, so sorry for the abrupt start to this. For some reason, it wouldn't allow me to play the intro video, but we're live now, and we'll go with this. And I'm going to... Hit record on a backup just in case. So tonight's discussion is a new wave of British heavy metal discussion. Uh, something that I personally thought we would get more feedback on. But uh, either way, I think it is a very influential and important movement in metal. Because not only was it important for the time, but it also helped lead to other things that came after um, without the new wave of British heavy metal, we wouldn't have the thrash movement that came after that. I am, I, I am, uh, and of course now I'm getting support, um, bots sending me messages. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so without the new wave of British heavy metal, we wouldn't have a lot of the music that came after. So I think it's important to celebrate it. And I know that a lot of people on Patreon said that it wasn't something that they were into uh, or they weren't into it at the time that it took place. And okay, that's fine. But I mean, uh, I was only a few years old. Sure, I knew who Kiss was. But uh, I went back and discovered all these great bands after. So people have voted. Not only the esteemed guests that I have today, but uh, let's see how many other people voted. Um, Ed, Jeremy, Mike, Chris Vaglio, Brad, Johan, and myself. So... Um, 
So we have a few more than the people that are here that did vote on this. But we got 32 albums in total. Let's just uh, run these down real quickly here, especially the, the top view. I'll just do 32 through 20 real quickly, and then we'll 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 get to the nitty-gritty after that. So 32, we have Angel Witch screaming and bleeding. 31, Vardis, 100 miles per hour. 30, Savage with Loose and Lethal. 29, Persian Risk with Rise Up. 28, Witchfinder General with Death Penalty. 27, White Snake with Slide It In. 26, Tokyo Blade with their self-titled Tokyo Blade. 25, Dumpy's Rusty Nuts with Hot Lover. Uh, 24, Dark Star by Dark Star. 23, Tokyo Blade Ain't Misbehaving. 22, Tokyo Blade Knight of the Blade. 21, Witchfinder General with Witchfinder General. So uh, any surprises for anyone for the for the first few albums that were voted on? Okay, yeah. seems like... Yeah, Dumpy's okay. Rusty Nuts really wasn't, uh, probably wasn't a new album band, so that's uh, a surprise. Um, Do you know them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were actually on top of the pops during the during the heyday, um, but okay. nobody really sort of considered them as part of that part part of the movement. But you know, they came out around that time, I guess. So, okay, uh, yeah, and obviously White Snake. Um, I think we had a White Snake album in there. So again, they they sort of predated the New Wobbum era, but they are a British band, so that's fair enough. Okay, I, I think that maybe at some point we'll have to do a uh, list on favorite UK bands. So it'll, it'll <laughs> cover all this and then none of us are wrong and all of us are right. Um, all right. So at 20 is vices by wasted. Number 19 is the self-titled debut by Raven. 18 heavy petting with letting loose. 17, Witchfinder General, or not Witchfinder General, Jesus, Angel Witch with Angel Witch. 16, Fastway with the Trick or Treat soundtrack. And 15, Demon with Night of the Demon. So, any, um, anyone have anything to say about those albums? Johan, anything? Yes. Um, my, I, I voted for uh, Demon. Uh, great album. I don't know the band especially well, but uh, that album is uh, that's a real good album. I don't know what you guys think of it, but uh, yeah. Jeremy's saying yes. So Jeremy, go ahead. What do you think about... Yeah, yeah. Demon were a really good band. I think they were sort of under the radar a little bit over here and... and you know, guys who were into the <clears throat> new album at the time sort of quite kind of like Demon, but they never really got got anywhere. They were never they never got any airplay. They never really got any uh, TV uh, stuff, you know. And so they sort of faded away. But I think you're right. They were um, one of those many bands that really sort of should have made it and um, were certainly 
worthy, you know, of some of of a mention, uh, you know, of of what they did during the time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Demon is uh, one is a household name at uh, Sweden Rock. They have a you know kind of a cult status there, so they play there okay. quite often. Yeah. Are they still together? Uh, some of them, I guess. I don't know. I don't how would know you this. describe? How would you describe their music? I, I haven't heard them, so I, I'm going to though. I'm going to listen to that album. Yeah, you should. Now it's classic, riffy, traditional early '80s metal. Good vocals, good choruses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's the title of that uh, that album again? Night, Night of the Demon. Demon. Got it. Okay. I'm going to listen to that. This will be the uh, revelation for for a lot of us because this is a band that I'm not familiar with either, to be perfectly honest. So it is something that I want to check out as well. I mean, most of these other bands, we know all the names, so um, I don't think there's going to be too many surprises. I mean, the, the biggest thing here is that a lot of these bands repeat with albums. Um, I think that this was what we wanted to avoid with certain bands, but we still got it with other bands. So, uh, so we'll see. So that's why I've, I've compiled the albums and I've also compiled the, um, the bands overall. So we'll talk about both. You but, know, I, I, I never heard of, uh, was it Rusty's Dumpy Nuts? <laughs> Dumpy's Rusty Nuts. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm curious, Jeremy. How would you describe their music? Yeah, that was a strange sort of thing. Sort of uh, very sort of traditional rock and roll type music. Um, They they weren't heavy metal. They were more sort of classic. They weren't even classic rock. I don't know how you would describe them. Really, just go and (laughs) go and have a listen to them. (laughs) That's your rusty. Okay. All right, move on. Yeah. Oh, before, before you move on, just wanted to pull you up on one thing because you, you mentioned Raven. And I think you said self-titled album, but I was wondering whether it was this album, Rock Until You Drop. That's their first album, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so so being that I'm not the Raven connoisseur, I didn't know that the so, Raven album came out after the debut, but um, oh, okay. keep, keep that album... Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah. it wasn't that. It wasn't that one, right? Okay. No, because that number fourteen is Raven. Rock until you drop. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> show it again. So show us again, Jeremy. There, there we, we go. go. And actually, this is a signed signed copy. I don't know if you can see any autographs. You probably can't. They're in in uh, felt tip. Okay. Who signed it? Okay, yeah. I see one there in blue. Yeah. There you go. So which Raven was on the list exactly? I'm confused. Okay, so the fir- the self-titled Raven album is on here. I don't see a self-titled Raven okay, then album. That's, that's why I questioned it. I, I wondered yeah. whether it might be Wiped Out, which is the one yeah. after, I think. I, I'm not familiar with the self-titled record by them. Okay, so it's got to be either that or wiped out that they're referring. Okay, yeah. Let's let's make this easier, Ed. What album did you vote for? You haven't gotten to that one yet for the one. Okay, so then I wrote your album down wrong. What I'm saying. Oh, okay. I I had all for one. From okay, Uh, me too. 
Yeah. All right. So hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Everything changes. Uh, yeah. Okay. So this. <laughs> you like you to in my email incorrectly? So I, I wrote, no, I. Oh, yes, I did. This is all my fault. Is it? <laughs> when I look at my list I sent you, I put Raven as the album name. Okay. I was uh, testing you there. You lose some points <laughs> on your trivia Tuesday. <laughs> there you go. So now, because of this, uh, well, okay. That album's okay. going up now. So did, that I mess, did I mess up the points on everything? No, no, no. Okay, so. You just move that album up a couple I, I just okay so that album got moved up let me see where raven by raven is okay so this comes out so so now that means that there are only 31 albums that were voted on want me to put another one in there <laughs> no that's fine that's fine all yeah, right leave it to me to muck it up no that's okay hey there's a lot of music to keep track of but uh <laughs> anyway uh, rock until rock until you drop, Jeremy. What can you tell me about this album? Well, what I can tell you about the album is uh, I originally bought the single, which was this on Neat Records. Uh, okay, nice. Uh, Don't need your money, and it was. But I would say it was probably my in my top three singles of the whole era because it's okay. so exciting and raven are a band that, that you know they created their own genre really because they called it mm. athletic rock um mm. but they were basically just a wild heavy metal band from newcastle and they were just they were just manic manic guys um obviously the singing i mean you know gallagher on vocals just changes keys all the time and goes up and down and screams and um but you can't you cannot um you, you I th I feel if you if you're into heavy metal you have to be into an album like this. If you if you don't if you don't like this album, you, you don't really like heavy metal because oh. it, it it epitomizes the genre of the time. Um, and I just think it's a great album. There's some great songs on there, uh, and of course they did a, some covers of uh, sweet songs as well from you know the early seventies, and and they did it really well. Okay. Anyone else want to say anything about this Raven album? Go ahead, Johan. Uh, not that uh, particular particular album, but uh, I have a. I don't know Raven that well, but I have an LP called "The Pack Is Back," uh, okay, which I I think sounds quite uh, American. Uh, it, and my question is: is uh, is that uh, album? <sighs> sound like Raven or is it an attempt for the American market? Yeah, I think they probably changed a lot as they went on and, and you're probably right, they would have um, gone for the American market. Quite a few of the British bands did try and do that. Obviously, we're, we're familiar with Def Leppard doing that. Um, uh, so, yeah, you, you really need to go back and listen to the early stuff. I mean, if you've not listened to Rock Until You Drop, you'll be quite surprised um, you know how raw it is and you know it was, it was all recorded in the studio you can hear all the sort of sounds of the band sort of the intros and all that sort of stuff on on that album yeah I'll check them out <laughs> yeah yeah i i think like jeremy just mentioned how many bands when motley Crue got big when bon jovi got big 
they all started jumping on that bandwagon and unfortunately started, you know, clean overdriven guitars um, and started, you know, putting whammy bars on Les Pauls and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, it was just changing with the times. But, uh, okay, so that's at 14. Raven, rock until you drop. At 13, a name that we're going to hear a few times. This is their first entry. Um, yeah. So at 13 is, you ready to grab the clock, uh, Brad? Uh, it's downstairs in the studio, sorry. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> Saxon with... Power and the glory. So, um, anyone have anything to say about this album? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> if I may. One of Go my ahead, Johan. Pra- yeah, perhaps my favorite Saxon album, and then I voted. My vote was much higher than this, so uh, okay. I love this album. Not a weak track on it, and the opening track. Uh, I mean. To be honest, I think I listen to the song Power and the Glory at least once a week. It's, uh, oh, wow. Yeah, that's uh, one of my best metal songs of all time. Absolutely. Okay. Mm. And Red Line, the second song. Oh, wow. Yeah. Red Line, fantastic. Mm. Yeah, that's my favorite song on the album. But Power and the Glory, though, that, that song, I think it's still in the set list now. I, I mean, it seems like every time I see them, they, it, it's in there. So it's yeah. Yeah, a great, great album. Okay. That's the that's debut album for uh, Nigel Glockler on drums. So, and I think his drumming on there is just out of control. I mean, it's, well, it's in control, but I mean, he just plays his ass off. <laughs> really good. I like the production on it too. It's good. Great album. I, I almost picked that one as well, Johan, but I went for another one. Yeah. As we'll see. It was a great album. Jeremy, you had anything to say about Power and the Glory? No, only that obviously Saxon released a, a fair few good albums in their early career and, and they kept the, um, they kept the quality up, I think, over those albums, and and uh, the, you know the, the fan base followed those albums through, and and you know I like I like that album, but it's not my favorite, and I, I think I'll agree with Brad in a minute. We're we're going to probably agree on the on another one. <laughs> okay. All right. So moving on here at number twelve, we have Tigers of Pantang with. Spellbound, an album that quite a few people voted on also. Um, anyone want to take this album on? All right. Seems. Well, I, I will. I, I didn't want to speak again because obviously I want to leave you guys to, to have no, a chance to speak. But That's fine. <laughs> I mean, the Tigers of Pantang for me were one of the um, one of the great bands of the new album era. I mean, obviously, uh, uh, they, they got John Deverell on in vocals instead of Jess Cox. And, of course, they got John Sykes in as well. And, and they really took the band on to be a proper proper heavy metal. And, I mean, the early days, they were very interesting because they were very like a proper 
authentic New Wobbin band, and then they became a much more classy outfit. And I think this, um, when you listen to some of the riffs on this um, this particular album, you can see the difference between this one and, and the previous album. Um, and they were, you know, they were flying the flag for Whitley Bay, which is a, you know, a separate part of Newcastle out on the coast. Um, and they were, you know, they were, um, they, they were very popular at the time. Um, you, you'd be quite surprised. They were getting a lot of airplay. They were a lot, they were on the TV a lot. And obviously John Sykes was an absolute star, uh, and he didn't last that long in, in, in as we know. Um, but you know, listen to that album, turn it up loud, and enjoy it. It's great. So, so two observations based on what you said. Um, one second album with John Sykes on this list, and uh, number two, where is John Sykes? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll be we'll be asking that question many times. I think over the next few years. Yes. <laughs> That is like the uh, Blue Saraceno question on uh, Trivia Tuesday. So, okay. Number 11. Saxon with Crusader. Mm-hmm. Another good choice. An, an album and a track that got them banned uh, in the Middle East, which... Uh, one thing, um, I'm not sure if Jeremy's the only one that's following the World Cup like I am, but there are some ballsy people out there dressing uh, dressing like crusaders in uh, Qatar at the moment, which I don't know if they'll be allowed to leave the country, but <laughs> at least they're showing up to the games dressed as crusaders. Wow. Uh, Brad, what, what do you have to say about this album? I love this album. I, I think the production's a little slick on it, um, but I love the songs on there, uh, especially yeah, Crusader. That's another song that's always in the set list. They they won't never not play that. But it's a lot of negatives. Three negatives. It makes them negative. Um, I I just love that album. Yeah, I I mean it was the one that followed Power and the Glory, and yeah, I I. Well, Jeremy can probably speak to this. I don't know what the feeling is over there, whether people were feeling like Saxon was going way too American. I mean, they got an American producer. I think they recorded it in America, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Some of the songs are a little bit on the more commercial edge or whatever. But it's just, I just love it, though. Again, the drums on it are fantastic. Some really, really good playing on there. So great. I love that album. Who produced it, Brad? Was it Jeff Glicksman? No, he did. He did Power and the Glory. Who who produced? Okay, talk to Jeremy. Well, I'll I'll get. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it's a good album, but I agree that I think that Saxon fans were losing around then. And the other thing I'd say, technically, it's not a new album album because although the band is a new album band, the the sort of that 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 um sort of when new album came around it kind of was ending before you know before that album came out um so you wouldn't sort of pick that one as part of that era but having said that um obviously they are a new album band and it still had that sort of you know fit but yeah it, it had changed and, and their music was changing and they were losing losing their sort of fan base over here um so 
yeah, I mean, I, on, on reflection, though, when I listen to it now, I, I still like it. It's a, it's a good album. Okay. Was Kevin, Be- Kevin Beamish was the producer on that, who, even though he's born in Canada, he claims that he's an American. Uh, he was naturalized when he was nine years old. I, I don't know. There you go. Uh, I will cop to the fact that Crusaders, the very first song that I heard by Saxon, and it was uh, on a mixtape that somebody had lent me, and the tape had it introduced me to a lot of different bands. It introduced me to Manowar. Introduced me to um, uh, to Saxon. Introduced me to trying to think what else. Tape had songs off of Condition Critical by Quiet Riot. Had some Metallica on there. Uh, so it was kind of all over the place. But yeah, Crusaders, the very first song that I ever heard from Saxon. Did you like it when you heard it? Yes, because okay. it, it sounded awesome. different to all the other stuff. And, you know, obviously it sounded like what Iron Maiden was doing. It sounded like what Judas Priest was doing. Yeah, there was Free Will Burning by Judas Priest was on that cassette as well. Um so it was right up, you know, it slotted in there with everything else. I wasn't I wasn't too fond of the uh, Man of War, which people were telling me that, oh, the song uh, Carry On, it's the greatest song ever written. I'm like, seriously? Well, at least it's the greatest ballad ever written. I'm like, no, I don't I don't know about that. <laughs> Maybe greatest song with a um uh, a loincloth or uh, some type of otter pelt being worn in the studio, you know, maybe. But uh, I don't know. Uh, number 10. It is, I almost said Saxon again, but it is not Saxon. It is Samson with mm. the album Head On. Now, this is something that I discovered afterwards. I see Jeremy's reaching for head on. Um, the metal dentist Gabriel had this on vinyl. And Saxon is a band that I discovered thanks to, and a lot of the bands that are on here, thanks to Lars Ulrich and his new wave of British heavy metal 79 revisited compilation that he released uh, in the early 90s. And for a lot of us in America, this was our first glimpse. I mean, Ed, Brad, correct me if I'm wrong, but I didn't know. I heard the name Samson, but I didn't know that Bruce Dickinson had sung in a band called Samson. And then that was one of the one of the things that they used to hype this compilation up. Hey, for the first time ever, an official release in the U.S. with Bruce Dickinson singing the song Vice Versa by Samson. Ed, Brad, had did you guys know of the band Samson way back when? No. Ed, I did. Uh, okay, not because I heard him, but probably just read about him. Right. I can't say whether I, I. I don't know at what point I learned that Bruce had been the singer, but right, I've known him for a long time. Yeah, that's kind of the thing uh, for me. I would see the albums here in Spain. But I didn't know Bruce had sung for them because by that time, by the time I was seeing them in the um, in the record stores, 
I had peace of mind in Live After Death and stuff like that. So he was way on to his career in Iron Maiden at the time. So to me, it was a treat to go back and holy shit, Bruce is singing in another band that is is a heavy metal band, but is an Iron Maiden, you know, shorter songs, stuff like I mean, there's a lot of stuff off of that album. It's funny when I revisited the album um, earlier this week because I wanted to make sure what what Samson album really I liked the most out of all of them. And I came across because Shock Tactics is another one that I listened to quite a bit. Yeah. And Tony is saying Bruce Bruce because that's what he was known as. But I mean, my my Bruce Dickinson playlist has hard times off of this, has vice versa off of this, has Hammerhead, has Take Me to Your Leader, has Walking Out on You. These are all fucking great songs that I've loved since the moment that I've heard them. And a lot of these I've heard. um, What's their live album? Okay, so it's Riding with the Angels, which was released. Mm as far as Apple music is saying is back in 2002, but I want to think that that was released. Now this is a live anthology. Okay. So there was another live album, which had a lot of these songs on there because it's, it's from Bruce's last show at the Reading festival. If, if I'm not mm. mistaken before he went to maiden and during the song bright lights, which isn't on this album, you could hear all this feedback in the mic and it's great because Bruce keeps saying, turn that fucking uh, sound down. You know, while he's trying to sing, you could hear all the feedback coming through, through the PA. So to me, that was always like a very authentic moment. It was really, really cool. But uh, anyone else want to say something about uh, Samson or this album head on? No, I never heard it. You never heard it. Okay. Any anyone, Brad, Ed? Oh, you guys said you've heard of, but didn't hear it. Heard of? I, I, it's it's on my to listen to list now. I have okay. not heard the album. I've only heard just a scattering of songs from Samson. And I mean, let's be honest here. You know, when these bands were first hitting the scene, they weren't hitting the scene over here. Right. I mean, That's you know, for point. me to find a Saxon album, I had to go to like five different stores, and it, you know, that was in what eighty. 81 right and even the first uh, the first iron maiden album i never i didn't see that till after killers was out for a while mm-hmm. uh killers was the very first one that hit a music store where i lived and it's not like i lived in someplace like utah or something i lived in <laughs> southern california in the los angeles right. area and so the, none of these other bands really just even showed up in the usa except for on import bins and stuff. And I don't even think those happened until later in the 80s, maybe 83, 84, that you started getting all these, you know, music imported here. So, so yeah, so it, it, we missed these bands. They, yeah. they, didn't, they didn't get over here, and we missed them. I, I think a lot of these, again, that Lars Ulrich compilation that he put together in the early 90s helped have a lot of these come out help get them reissued or issued for the first time in the States. Cause I believe some of these Samson albums came out on Gla- uh, grand slam records. I'm not mistaken in the early nineties, shortly thereafter. 
which surprises me because given Iron Maiden's popularity, that someone hadn't gone for that sooner. Uh, and Tony in the chat is saying the band is considered to have the first proper new wave of British heavy metal album. So hmm. he's reading two books by Martin Popoff on new wave of British heavy metal. So I'm assuming that that's what Martin is saying. Um, quite interesting. Anthony, Number nine. You, need to, you need to get in here and join us. Yeah. So he's saying it is Martin. Okay. Um, number nine is, um, is a band that I'm surprised it came out this high, but at the same time, they've had some pretty popular songs from the genre. Uh, unfortunately, and once I say this, you guys will probably know who I'm talking about, but unfortunately their lead singer passed away not that long ago. Uh, we are talking about Grim Reaper. And the album is See You in Hell. That's at number nine. And what always caught me about Grim Reaper uh, was not only the bombastic vocals, but Nick Bocott, who really downplays his guitar ability all these years later, I think was really kind of shredding on some of the stuff he was doing. You know, Ed, as a guitarist, do you think that Bocott with songs like See You in Hell and stuff like that, um, you know, I, I don't know if he, if you would rank him up there with some of the other quote-unquote guitar slingers because obviously he didn't have the popularity, but I do think that his playing did, in, in conjunction with the singing, kind of took this band to a different level and kind of helped its popularity. Yeah, he definitely was a unique player and singer. I've never really, you know, paid a whole lot of attention to them. I remember their song when it first came out, and I've got their record. And, you know, when I listened to the album, which I did not too long ago, you know, that first opening track, See You in Hell, is just amazing. Um, right. You hear it once and you never forget it. Yep. The rest of the record is good, but it's not so exciting that I listen to it a lot. Uh, there weren't another. It's almost like that song is just so great. The other ones are hard to live up to it. Uh, but, you know, that song is just so great, so classic that they have to be on this list. And just that one song alone puts them in the top 10, if you yeah. ask me. Yeah, any anyone else? Grim Reaper, see you in hell. I, I voted for that. I, I got to say that when they first came out, um, that was '83 MTV era, right? And it almost seemed like um, a parody of metal. You know, the just the the lyrics and everything. I, it's it was like it was like Spinal Tap. You know, we're going to make we're going to make fun of metal here. See you in hell. I mean, everything was hell. They had what rock you to hell. Isn't that their third yeah. album? Yeah. That's, uh, um, and, and yeah, but I but I, after listening to it, getting past that at the time, I thought they were like corny. Uh, but listening to them now, uh, they really are good. They're very, very good. So. There you go. Go back if you if you dismiss them like I did. Go back and listen to them again. You'll be surprised. 
Yeah, and and the their late singer Steve Steve Grimmett did pass away earlier this year, and uh, he really kind of kept this band alive because uh, you know Nick Bocott bowed out in '89 and started working for Marshall and kind of never looked back. Uh, Jeremy, how how did Grim Reaper stack up with some of these other bands? They didn't at all. They didn't at all. None of my friends or myself would have ever given Grim Reaper a minute's time at the time because they were a band. Obviously, I've heard of them, and obviously, I've heard their album. And uh, there was, you've got to bear in mind that there were, for every Grim Reaper, there were a thousand bands coming out every week, every month. Um, so you had to be very, very good to rise above it. And some of the other bands we've mentioned, you know, Tigers of Pantang, Saxon, you know, and we'll mention others in a minute, um, they all rose above it and they were all the famous bands. And unless you bought the album or bought the single, they would just pass you by. And to be honest, I don't think anyone in the UK would ever put Grim Reaper in the top 100 that's wow. what it is. Sorry. Why? Why? <laughs> Why? Because because their music never connected with anyone. They never really toured much. Uh, they didn't have enough money behind them to make them big. They never had any airplay. Uh, mostly the airplay, I guess, because you you know to be famous to to um, to to really hit you. You know the Saxons, the Def Leppards, the Iron Maidens. The Tigers of Pantangs, the Ravens, they all had some airplay of some sort. They were on the radio or they were on the TV. And a band like Grim Reaper came and they went and nobody really took much notice. So so I'm going to guess that the management or whatever, they had some inline to America because they really were pushed here. Yeah, that, that really, would be it. Yeah, They were really pushed here. I mean, I... I heard them saw them everywhere and again i thought it was at the time i thought it was silly so that, that's probably that's probably why they probably just decided not even to try england because there's just too much competition there for this type of music yeah i guess so yeah yeah so, so interestingly enough they were on rca um hmm. how many bands on rca how many heavy metal bands or hard rock bands Brad, Ed, do you know of that were on RCA in the States at that time? Ed's shaking Not his any. head. Uh, yeah, I don't know of any. So that could be exactly it. You know, new wave of British heavy metal is 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 happening. RCA needs a new wave of British heavy metal band. Grim Reaper isn't associated to anyone. So let's sign them up. They've got this one song. We could sell them on that one song. So... Yeah. Um, Real quickly, we have um, uh, Ace Freely uh, dialing in to give his opinion on Grim Reaper based on Jeremy's comments, and they are. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) Okay. So, um, number eight. Wait a second here. Weren't Scorpions on RCA? I think no, really, no, no, no. really early on, you know, the, the okay. first, like, Fly to the Rainbow, the yeah, maybe, yeah. Uh, that, and what's the first one? Or the 
Um, the one with the crow in the title. Lonesome Crow. Lonesome Crow. Lonesome Crow. I think those two are on RCA, and then after that, they went over to EMI, I believe. Okay. Because they were, they were EMI Capital after that, and then they went to Mercury, I think, in the 90s for like an album or two. Could be screwing that up, but... Uh, Antonio is saying... Uh, about Grim Reaper, I remember them when I bought Hip Parader in the late eighties. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah, they were in all those magazines. Yeah. Um, after their fourth In Hell album. Um, okay, so at <laughs> number eight, we have what could be considered a supergroup. Their drummer was part of uh, Trivia Tuesday this week. It is the self-titled debut. By Fastaway. Ah. Now, I don't know if Jeremy's going to give us the kibosh here and say that isn't a new Wobbum band. No. He's, he's saying uh, no. I, no. That's why I didn't vote for him either, uh, Jeremy. <laughs> I, I'm like, they don't sound anything like new Wobbum. Not okay. at all. So I was like, I was surprised that they were on the list. Keep going. Well, you guys I, need to fix the internet because if you go and look up a list – of the Nawabin bands, they're on here along with the other. I can't remember. Along with Rusty's dumpy nuts. <laughs> so us U.S. guys need to take a class from you, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think I, yeah, I think we should defer to Jeremy for all this because he lives there. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, uh, it's not, it's not, yeah, it's not to say that they're not a good band or they're not no. a British band. They're just not part of the movement. Yes. Okay. Thank you. I voted for them personally. Uh, if you can see the uh, over here, the Easy Living single behind me. Mm. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, I've I voted for them. I love this album. It is one of my all-time favorite albums of all time. Um, so yeah, so you can blame me for having this album up there so high. Uh, all right. Number seven. Uh, it is the second album. Uh, well, originally it was the third album, but we had to fix it. Uh, it is the second album by Raven on the list. It is all for one coming in at number seven. So, uh, who wants to talk about this album? I will. Go ahead. Um, yeah, this is one of my favorites, and it'll always be in my memories one of my first speed metal type bands. Uh, before I heard, you know, Metallica and Anthrax, I was listening to Raven. I don't remember how I discovered them. Probably from either a magazine or just by browsing through uh, stuff at the record store. But I picked up this one and then also uh, Live at the Inferno and uh, just listened to it over and over again as a 13, 14-year-old kid. Couldn't get enough of it. And, uh, yeah, a huge stepping stone to me uh, searching for even faster, heavier stuff, which came along with, you know, Metallica and Anthrax. And, and I think that... Uh, 
Yeah, all all those bands in the thrash metal genre owe a great debt to Raven. Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, we just saw Raven just opened up for Metallica. It was kind of the, um, them repaying Raven for, for the opposite, for them opening for Raven early on in their career. And that's what I talked about initially, how this movement is just so important to everything that came after because of that, because the, the bands that we're going to be talking about, especially from here on up, um, I think that they could be counted as influences on millions of bands that came out afterwards. So uh, anyone else want to say something about All for One by Raven? Uh, I could, uh, uh, I, as I said before, I never heard it, but uh, I've added some Raven albums now to my library in my Apple Music. So uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, to dive in Raven. Cool. I think this album represents Raven the best. You know, it's got the best uh, combination of, songwriting and production it's not too slick but not too rough mm -hmm. and uh, all the songs are heavy fist pumping metal tunes you'll like it yeah mm. they've, yeah, they've I, matured I was... they've matured haven't they uh, but by the time they'd released this album so that yeah, you're right they'd sort of they'd learned time. yeah 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 that was their uh letting the rest of the world hear what they had to say moment i think yeah the, the first time i heard raven a friend of mine bought the album the album i'm not sure which album it is if i could see that show me the back cover of the the um the first album there jeremy you have that handy yeah still? yeah i've got it yeah I'm see it. that's it but i remember when i heard it i was like what the heck? it was just oh was, mm, that might be it uh yeah that might be it. Um, but when I, when I first heard it, I was like, man, I don't know. The songs just weren't really well developed. The guy's voice was just it's a little too much for me at that time. And so I kind of quickly dismissed them. But now preparing for this, I started listening to Raven and I listened to more and more and more. In fact, I listened to more Raven this week than any other band. And I got to say they're really good. And I have, uh, I'm like I, I don't know what I what I was thinking back then, but then, yeah, I, I yeah, and all, all for one was, was my choice as well because as I listened to it, I felt like it best had the best of everything for that band, the best songwriting, best production, his voice sounded tolerable. Um, yeah, it was good. So listen to that one, Johan. Everybody else out there, go listen to that Raven album. And their new material is really good, too. I've been checking that out more recently. Yeah. yeah. They're still uh, a heavy band. Yeah, yeah still playing live playing as well. Some, yeah, we're going to be playing some Raven on Yard Metal now. Cool. See that? You influencing influencing um, your pockets and uh, the internet airplays. <laughs> so. Yes, you're, you're, co you're costing me uh, lots of money, which is money well spent. <laughs> and I don't know how much money they make per song I play. Probably worse than Spotify, but I, I we are paying money for these songs that we're playing, uh, publishing fees. So 
Hopefully they'll get something. I would assume you're probably paying more than Spotify does or what, the, what they're um, – well, Spotify probably plays their pays their label well, but the label probably doesn't pay them well. Right. Um, that would make me feel good since that's the whole purpose is to support these bands and get people yeah. listening to them and, uh, you know, buy their stuff. Okay. Let's go. All Raven, right. Check them out. <laughs> All right. So moving on here at number six. I, I sense that somebody will be standing up out of their chair in a second. <laughs> there you go. Saxon, Wheels of Steel at number six. Uh, Brad, oh, there you go. Jeremy has it in hand. That's I had it on vinyl at one time. <laughs> yeah, that's a single, I was going to say. That, oh, that looks okay. kind of small. Either I was going to say either that's a single or you have really big hands, one or the other. <laughs> cool and that's the the single for the title track yeah yeah okay. the first uh, first ever heavy metal single i ever bought that is nice. it in my hand what made you pick that up Be well it was because um i'd never heard anything like it in my life i mean i was listening to punk i was listening to disco i was listening to uh pop music i was listening to um reggae I was listening to everything that was going on at the time. And then suddenly heavy metal, I listened to it on the radio and I heard the riff of Wheels of Steel and it changed my entire life. That, that single there, which I bought in, when it came out in 1980, changed my entire life. And I got it signed. I don't know if you can see it's actually signed just there. Uh, no. Who signed it? I'm doing you here, Victor. There you go. There, <laughs> Biff has signed it. Nice at, at the High Voltage Festival. Was it? No, it wasn't High Voltage Festival. It was the one in Maidstone. Sorry. Uh, anyway, yeah. So I bought that single, and um, I love it. And I love the B side as well. The B side's amazing. Stand up and be counted. It should be a B side. It should be an that's, A side. That's my favorite song off that album. Yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing. <laughs> I've heard him play it once. And it yeah. was in San, it was in San Antonio. I, I saw them. It was when they were touring with UFO, and in San Antonio, the deal was where UFO was headlining every other show here in the U.S. In San Antonio, Saxon headlined, mm. oh, and wow. so they they had more time, and they threw that they threw that in there, and it was just I, the first time I'd ever heard it live. Maybe it'll be the last time I'll hear it live. But I thought, how cool is that? Uh, God, yeah. Great. <laughs> So interesting because name of that song is "Stand Up and Be Counted," as as you're mentioning. Um, there's a, a Fastway song off of the Trick or Treat soundtrack where they say that phrase as well. Hmm. Um, this song is called "Stand Up," isn't it, Ed? <clears throat> uh, it might be. Yeah, it's on side one. The next to the last song off of side one. I don't know. Uh, anyway, what I'm trying to get at is that also ACDC, for those about to rock, yeah, start off with uh, stand up and be counted for what you are about to receive. So did Saxon influence that phrase? Yes. Be used because Wheels of Steel, 1980. 1980, man. Uh, for those about to rock is 81, isn't it? Yeah. 
So you, you want to talk about influence, uh, go back and listen to rock and roll doctor by black Sabbath off technical ecstasy. Right. My theory is that influenced the song. He wills a steel. Okay. Jeremy, check it out. See what you think. Do, do you think that, do you think that could be true? I've never thought of it, so I'll have to have a think about that. I've especially never the very the very yeah. end of it, as they're as they're yeah. playing out the song, it's yeah. almost exactly Wheels of Steel. Well, I mean, you've got to bear in mind that all songs and all bands listen to stuff that's gone before, so they're going to you know, be influenced in some way, I suppose. So maybe yeah, maybe that's I'm, true. Yeah, I'm certainly not going to accuse them of ripping ripping Sabbath yeah. off, but it's yeah. just like it's just like wow, wait a second, that's very. That's very yeah. similar, which is cool. But you're right. Uh, all music comes from somewhere. Unless you're Ingve, because all of his stuff is original, because he doesn't listen to other music. So if he, if he writes a song, it's never been heard before by anybody. Or Nicky Sitz. <laughs> or Nicky yeah. Sitz, yeah. Holy sh... Oh, my God. I forgot to mention that during today's <laughs> fucking podcast. Holy shit. <laughs> we just took a turn, didn't we? Yeah. Thank you, okay. Ed, to, to to remind me that I missed my rant on Nikki Six and and Mr. Uh, oh, sounds like Taylor Swift is releasing a new album. And, you know, she always does this. I'm like, the fuck are you talking about? Every time Molly Crew or Nikki Six has something to sell, he's just... Diary of the mouth about one thing or another. So, you know, pot calling the kettle black. I'm sorry. Back to our, <laughs> to our uh, you know, scheduled show here. But, man, does that piss me off. Um, By the way, before we move off Wheels of Steel, just one yeah. more mention of that. Um, it, it obviously had another great single on there, 747, Strangers oh. in the Night. I mean, what a song was that to follow up Wheels of Steel. It was a big, big hit in the UK. I mean, a really big hit. I think it was probably top 20 in, in the UK charts at the time. So it was wow. selling shed loads. Yeah, I'm going to say that's, that's uh, CEO Dave's favorite Saxon song. He, oh, wow. He actually asked Biff about it, and his when the time he interviewed him, because uh, he he wanted to know if there was, it was based on any kind of a true story or anything. Uh, it's it's not. Huh. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah, um, Johan, you were shaking your head to that. A- anything that you want to add about Wheels of Steel? <clears throat> no, sure. yes. great album. I love it. Of course. Okay. Uh, How could you not? Yeah. I have it on vinyl as well. Um, Saxon records were cheap. They they ended up in the you know the. Did you have it as well? You know where the, the albums were a little bit cheaper after a year yeah, or two. Yeah, yeah, I've been. Yeah, so I bought uh, a lot of Saxon album uh, albums uh, back then, and this one is fantastic. Mm. The biggest proponent that I knew of Saxon was Eddie Trunk, actually. He used to play Saxon all the time when he worked at local radio in in New York or in New Jersey and then later in the New York area. But he would play, you know, stuff like Dallas 3 p.m. and and, and stuff like that. So 
What's that, Brad? Well, 1 p.m. 1 p.m. 1 p.m. <laughs> 1 p.m. I, I, I realized that when Kennedy was shot, it might have been 3 p.m. and where you live. <laughs> it was 1 p.m. in Dallas. Okay. And that that goes that goes to show what a huge Saxon fan I am. So I always I always thought that was weird that they would write a song about that because I mean this is an American you know U.S. history, and it's like why why would why would you guys care about Kennedy being shot over there, Jeremy? It was a big thing, but it still is a big thing. Over yeah. Here. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I just just to uh, we're, we're getting off track here, but I remember my grandparents in the house that I live in had a Life magazine that was, you know, Kennedy's assassination. Um, so it was. The, I would say that's world history as well mm-hmm. as U.S. history. That was a big turning point for a lot of parts of the world. Mm-hmm. So I agree. Um, let's see here, number five. So we're getting into the top five here. And this is an album that was so influential. There's a genre named after it. So I'm sure some of you people know uh, what album this is. It is Black Metal by Venom. So um, for a lot of people, this is the start of, of obviously Black Metal because of what the band did on this. Um Top five actually obviously means that it's uh, a very important album to a lot of people. Who wants to talk about this album? Ooh. Ed? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, this, this, yeah, talk about a classic. The, the first two Venom records, of course, both classic. I don't think that, you know, your pure black metal fans consider venom black metal from what i've read right but i tell you i venom has the darkest grungiest most evil sounding guitar tone the most you know wicked sound that i don't think any black metal band has ever been able to match uh and yeah, just the song "Black Metal," man, just so heavy. You got to listen to that every few weeks. Um, I think I learned about Venom when I uh, when I left the Christian school and started going to public school. I met a friend in the neighborhood who ended up being my biggest heavy metal music buddy after that. And I would walk to his house in the morning and ride to school with him, and I was waiting in his uh, bedroom with him while he was finishing getting ready for school and he was playing black metal and uh yeah i was instantly a a fan and i think i may have heard uh i probably heard venom you know just right after hearing you know slayer and megadeth peace cells for the first time so that was just uh, you know taking things to a whole nother level for me as far as hearing. I don't think I had heard Possessed yet, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, soon after I was you know buying some Possessed and Venom and paying more attention to the more extreme underground stuff, which all kind of led to uh, the, the whole death metal scene. I think you know all the, all those genres from the early '80s uh, ended up in the uh creating a lot of the death metal sounds that we 
first heard in the late 80s, early 90s. So would you say that this album had more to do with influencing death metal than it did black metal? I think, yeah, well, yeah, I think it has more of an influence on the thrash metal scene. You know, technically they would call this speed metal, along with Raven and right. Motorhead. Uh, and, of course, you know, the black metal crowd took that term, black metal. But, you know, when right. you hear uh, black metal starting with uh, Bathory in 84, I mean, it's a completely different thing. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you know, Slayer and Creator and some of those early death metal bands, uh, you hear the Venom influences in that music the most, I think. Okay. And then maybe the lyrics. Well, you know, with the lyrics, you know, in black in true black metal lyrics, it's more, you know, it's a different kind of Satanism and paganism, um, whereas Venom is doing more of the, the shock Satanism and occult stuff, you know, like Slayer right. and some of those bands were doing in the beginning. Kind of your horror movie type stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Johan? Yeah. Uh, I couldn't appreciate Venom back then. I thought it uh, sounded too messy for me. Uh, it was fast and hard, but uh, uh, no, not back then. But now I really can appreciate that album. I think it's great. Uh, the song Countess Battery is amazing. As you say, as you were saying, Ed, about the guitar tone, he, that was a, a. I mean, the sound was really. They had their own sound. Uh, you can tell that Battery has listened to some Venom before he released that first album. Okay, Jeremy, uh, in the UK, what was the reception to Venom? Because once again. From what Ed is saying and what Johan kind of reiterated here, it was something completely different to what all these other bands were doing. So within the UK, how was Venom seen? Yeah, it was a big shock. Uh, They were very, very different to everything else that was going on. Um, I remember a friend of mine playing me in League with Satan on, on single and we just looked at each other and our, our mouths dropped. We couldn't believe what we were hearing. It was um, it was both messy, but but it was it was shocking and and loud and heavy all at the same time. It was badly produced as well. The, the very first album was really poorly produced. As we know, they just went into the studio, I think, and just recorded it, and they wanted to change it, and they, they weren't allowed to because they didn't have the money or whatever. Um, and it was it was something that you couldn't get your head around really because you were used to melodic metal. You were used to something that you know went from punk to you know as it, as it in sort of Iron Maiden. You know they they sort of bridged the stuff between punk and metal, but it was all nice and melodic. You had some choruses and med- melody. Venom had nothing like that. It was it was totally different. And it's only now actually going back in the past two, three weeks, I've gone back and listened to Welcome to Hell again. Um, and I actually really like it because I, it's not as, as shocking as I remember it because now I've heard so much more since. Obviously, the bands that have come out since have been so, you know, the, the thrash metal scene and the death metal scene, the black metal scene is so extreme that you go back and listen to that and it actually sounds quite melodic. It's weird. 
um, but at the time it was it was a real shock and and every, everyone knew the band and it was almost a scary thing you know we were quite frightened of that band we're, you know it was, it was almost like oh don't want to go there <laughs> cool uh brad anything regarding metal or excuse me regarding venom black metal that you want to mention um no, but I, I get exactly what Johan and, and Jeremy are saying. Uh, first time I actually listened to him was this last week. And I was just like, this is not very well done. Um, I mean, the production and everything was just kind of like, uh, I, I, I didn't get real far with it. I listened to a few songs. I was like, ah, but I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back and uh, listen to what Johan and Jeremy recommended there. And Ed, of course. Yeah, it's and meant to I'm going to give, give it another shot. Yeah, it's meant to be that way. <laughs> yeah, you're not supposed to like it the first time you hear it. <laughs> cool. So uh, moving on to number four here. A band that we haven't heard mentioned yet. Uh, it is Iron Maiden with their second album, Oops. Killers. And um, this, to me, out of the two Deano albums, is my favorite of the two, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think it's head and shoulders above the first one. I know that there's a lot of people that will argue the opposite. Um, I don't know how much Adrian Smith, I guess I have to look at the credits to see how much he actually um, has to do with what the band sounds like at this point in time, because... I'm sure that a lot of these songs were around even before the first album was recorded. Well, Drifter, I know for sure, because that was being played way back uh, before the first album was was recorded, if I'm not mistaken. But um, Iron Maiden Killers, anyone want to uh, mention anything about this? Oh, there you go. Jeremy's got... uh, Is that Killers? Yes, it is. That's the back cover. Okay. No, that's a single. single. <laughs> okay. Twilight's own Wrathchild. See, I could I don't have my CDs behind me. Yeah, mm. I have that on CD. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is interesting because Twilight Zone, I believe, is the song that's not on the original US release. Correct. I I don't know why they did that. And then even now when they did the re-release, um, I have that courtesy of Mark Striegel. And also on the iTunes or Apple Music re-releases that they did a few years back, a few years back, Twilight Zone is not on that either. Makes zero sense to me because by the time I got to that album in the late '80s, the U.S. copy had Twilight Zone. So why reissue it without that? It doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense to me. Uh, who wants to talk about Killers? <laughs> Johan, go ahead. Uh, the first Maiden album that I heard was Killers uh, at the friend's house on a original cassette uh, around <laughs> 82, I guess. Uh, I really, this is a, obviously a great album. Uh, only strong songs. Uh, the title track is uh, one of my uh, all-time favorite Maiden songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, uh, and the cover of the LP 
was back in the day it was you know that was that was something yeah that was that was metal so uh yeah great album absolutely <clears throat> yeah okay no. anyone, anyone else want to talk killers sure i will um steve harris wrote every song on that album the only co-write was Diano got a co-write on the song killers so okay. i imagine that was a lyrical thing um but steve harris was 100 that band at that time right i think he probably wrote everything on the first album too uh yeah i i think if you um I'm trying to think what live releases out there where, and it may just be a bootleg that I have, but I, I'm kind of confident that it was released as part of the, um, trying to think, no, I guess it may not have been part of the, um, the, the Eddie box set. And maybe it was the live at the rainbow bootleg or, or something like that, but, there's a version with Deano singing where the lyrics are totally different. Mm. So I'm, assu I'm assuming one of two things. Either Deano was drunk beyond belief and he didn't remember the lyrics or he, he rewrote them. So they are what they are on the album. Mm. So that's why I'm, I'm guessing that that's why he's got the co right there. Mm. But, um, yeah, like Johan said, I mean, that's one of my all-time favorite songs. And there, there's just something to the way that that album sounds as well. I mean, I know that Bruce has covered Wrathchild over the years. He's done Killers over the years. There's just something with Deano's voice in those songs that just have a certain feel to them, which it's similar to how I feel with Clive Burr's playing, where as good of a drummer that Nico is, he just doesn't have the same feel and swagger that that uh, Clive Burr had, and he just doesn't pull the songs off as well. Not to say that he sucks or anything like that, but there's just something to Deano's singing. There's something to um, Clive Burr's drumming that just makes those songs sound extra special. Deano screams during the song Killers. Bruce doesn't come close to doing it the same way. There's just something there with, with that. So, um, yeah. And Ed is saying they have a darker, punkier feel. Absolutely. So I was, uh, Despo geek just did a special on the, the best and worst of iron maiden. And when they said drifter was the worst song off of this album, I wanted to, mm -hmm. I, I wanted to reach through my, uh, my headphones and, 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 and pull Chris Sinzak hair. Uh, when I heard that, because I'm thinking it's my fucking favorite song off of the album. Um, you Great know, song. to hear someone say, oh, it's by far the worst. Like, no. Like, yo, wait, were they, were they saying it was the worst Iron Maiden song, period, or the worst one on that album? Off of off of that album. Oh, OK. In in all fairness, Chris Sinzak is not a big Iron Maiden fan. And just to put things in his terms, I said, OK, we need to do the best and worst of Thin Lizzy without you being insulted with my picks for the worst of Thin Lizzy is what I told them. 
And he said, well, you know, you've got to have a lot of stuff that you love. I said, no, your feeling of Iron Maiden is my exact feeling of Thin Lizzy. So I think they're good, but I never really got into them. So anyway, John Sykes played on my favorite Thin Lizzy album. So once again, where is John Sykes? Um, wait, wait, wait. If Iron Maiden added a fourth guitarist, they could have John Sykes. Have John Sykes. And if he didn't show up, they wouldn't miss him. Um Anyone else want to mention something about Killers? It's a great album. It's it's like there's there's nothing else like it. There was nothing like it. There's never been anything like it. It it's uh it's one of those few instances where something totally unique happens. Yeah. And to, uh, to, they they deserve and not only that, it's not unique but it's awesome. Yeah, the first me, time I heard it, I was like, "What the hell is this?" And 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 I've told this story before. I picked up my bass and I tried, started playing along with it. I had to take like two breaks to make it through Wrathchild. I couldn't play the whole song because my fingers were just like, "Oh man, I can't, I can't play that fast that long." I mean, I could obviously play it now, but back then, like I've never none of the songs I was playing back then were like that. Nothing. Such a slouch. <laughs> I think personally there was in New York there was a radio station called WNEW and they would play the perfect album side to me side two of Killers is a perfect album side beginning to end hmm. I mean it's something that I've purposely the first version that I owned of this was a cassette I would purposely fast forward to listen <laughs> to Killers through Drifter because I just loved it so much um anyway, top three. These three albums are by three different artists. One we've talked about before, the other two we have not. So this just goes to show how important these bands, these albums are. And oh yeah, this next band I'm gonna mention receives quite a bit of money due to royalties from another band covering them on more than one occasion. Uh, I know who it is. So number three is Diamond Head, Lightning to the Nations. So, uh, Jeremy, I know that this was pretty high up on your list. Yeah. Um, Diamond Head, tell us your thoughts on the band and the album. Yeah, Diamond Head were very, very, very important in the new album scene. I mean, they were um, a cut-up of the rest. They were very professional. They had that sort of Led Zeppelin-esque type feel to them. And as we know, they've had a lot of the uh, songs covered by Metallica and, and other you know, other bands like to play their stuff as well. Um, and you can see why, because they they um, they just managed to combine uh, you know great vocals, great guitar, um, they were just a great band that that um, that had something a bit different, and they didn't just have one single. They had you know a lot of great tracks. Um, they re-released quite a few of the um, songs off that album on Borrowed Time, which came out in 1982. Um, but if you go back, obviously they've they've re-released it now twice very recently as well. They've done a cover with the the new vocalist, and then they've re-released the original album. Um, uh, you know, so they've um, 
forgot what they call it now, where they re-engineer it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they've yeah. just released a, a new version of it, um, and um, it sounds great. And and you know, there's some they're just classic, classic songs. Diamond Head should have been much, much bigger. I think most people are very surprised that of all the bands in the new Wapam era, Diamond Head are now not headlining festivals like Iron Maiden, like Def Leppard. Uh, and they're not even as big as Saxon. They're supporting Saxon, and it's a real travesty. Um, I saw them. They came to my local town, and they played in front of fifty people. And I wow. and I met um, I met Brian Tatler after the concert, and he signed my single. And I just looked, and I thought, what 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 has happened to this band? You know, they, they it's 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 ridiculous. Um, but you know, fantastic album. If you've never heard it, just just go and listen to it, play it loud. Why do you think that that happened? Is it because they've switched so many members over the years? Maybe no other album compared to the first album or to this album specifically. Yeah, yeah. Well, what what happened was they released in 1983. They released an album called Canterbury, which was a real step aside from what they were doing. It didn't have the heavy riffs. Uh, they tried to make this sort of compilation, uh, not compilation. Um, uh, what do you call it? A concept. Uh, kind of a concepty album um and uh they tried to be led zeppelin and they thought they could get away with it they i think they spent quite a bit of money on it but they didn't have enough time in the studio to really get it right um and it sounds weak there's three or four very very good songs on there but the rest of it is not not as good and they went downhill very quickly i mean if you couldn't keep the momentum going in a new album band you were not going to survive you know i maiden kept that momentum going as we know you know they, they get they got the fan base but they kept each album you know got better and better um and uh they couldn't do it um and it's a real shame because they uh, i still think you know listening to their stuff now that it was probably amongst the best you know i think it was as good as maiden it was as good as saxon yeah two two points real quickly there i think one of the best things about people checking this show out is to see what's going on in the backgrounds. For example, Ed and his dogs uh, at the moment. <laughs> so there's constant entertainment. If you're watching this, these shows, um, black dog. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting that you mentioned that. Cause if you really think about what you just said, iron maiden started getting really big. How big was priest? Scorpions was coming on, you know, obviously not a new Wobbum, not a new Wobbum band. Ozzy's solo material started getting really big, you know. So within hard rock and metal, Metallica started coming on, Slayer, Anthrax, Megadeth. There were a lot of different things going on within hard rock and metal at the time. And that's without, you know, later on in the decade with the Motley Crues and the Dawkins and, you know, Bon Jovi's and stuff like that. So while all this stuff was happening, what are you showing us there? Is that sorry? That's uh, Diamond Head's "Borrowed Time." Okay. Um. So so yeah. So if you kind of sidestepped it, there's one thing where if a band does that, you know, eight ten albums in, it, you know, if someone like a Black Sabbath releases a technical ecstasy after everything that they've done beforehand, since Brad mentioned the album before, 
there's a difference. Whereas with Diamond Head, if you're competing with all these other bands for for listeners, Canterbury was what their fourth album in. Uh, third, I think. Yeah. Third. Okay. So all of a sudden, your you know your bread and butter is new wave of British heavy metal two albums. And then all of a sudden you swerve and, and you're putting out, there you go. You're, you're, I mean, even look at the cover. What a departure that is from the other stuff. The logo is yeah. completely different. You know, all, all of a sudden, this is like all of a sudden putting out, all right, we've got a, a dog competition going on here now. Um, all of a sudden you're, you're putting out, you know, Blackmore's Night, third album in. And, you know, you've released Rainbow Rising and uh, and Long Live Rock and Roll. And your third album is, you know, not exactly Blackmore's Night, but you get what I'm saying. It's, you know, uh, uh, Shakespearean type themes and stuff like that. So it's it's going to swerve a lot of people. And with so many options, shit, I didn't even mention ACDC. <laughs> you know, so many bands were getting so huge at the time or much bigger than what they were before that. So such a, such a weird sidestep. Uh, anyone else want to mention anything about lightning for the nations or lightning to the nations? First time I've listened to the whole album was this week and fell in love with it. So there. Cool. Um, I mean, Brian Tatler's constantly talking about how Metallica has Helped him throughout his life, being that they've uh, covered Diamond Head so many times over the years. Uh, so interesting, I think, the philosophy that they had was to cover a band that nobody knew about. Because I didn't know who the hell Diamond Head was. You know, um, me personally, Brad. Yeah, I was going to say on their new, and actually, Jeremy, it's not remixed. They actually re-recorded White yeah, and Nations. Yeah, it's yeah. total re-recording. Yeah. But they covered a Metallica song. <laughs> so, fair play, right? What Metallica song did they cover? You would ask that. Hang on. Oh, you bring it up. You'd think you'd be ready for it. Yeah, I would have my facts to the fight for the Let's fight here. No remorse. No remorse. No, no remorse, right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so that's, I mean, that's right up their alley, though. I mean, because that... Yeah. They actually did uh, immigrant songs, so it's interesting you said they kind of had that Zeppelin mm -hmm. swagger. Yeah, and their Deep version Purple. of that, their Deep version song of that song is pretty well. good. Yeah, yeah. The um, Deep Purple song is Rat Bat Blue, hmm. and uh, Judas Priest Sinner, which is uh, there again, uh, actually pretty decent covers of those songs. Hmm. T take note, Queens, right? <laughs> <laughs> well. If, if you listen to uh, Wilton's recent interview with Chris Aiken, the alternative was She Sells Sanctuary by The Cult. Really? Oh, I got to listen to that now. Oh, no, they haven't released it because Todd didn't think he could pull the, the uh, vocals off. So that's why they went with Rebel Yell. It was uh, Todd's suggestion. Okay. No, I mean, I, gotta, I, I might have to listen to that podcast. Oh, okay. After I uh, listen to yours, of course. Ed Diamondhead, when did you become familiar with them? When did you hear the name? Did you know of them before? Hearing uh, it was on the Garage Day ZP in 87. Yeah. And I, don't, I didn't listen to Diamondhead for many years after that. Uh, 
but yeah, good band. And I think that they're, those covers by Metallica are the best, especially Helpless. Right. And, you know, if, if Diamond Head were contemporaries of Metallica, uh, they would be sounding much like Metallica was in right. 87 on, you know, with Injustice. And they'd probably be uh, bickering back and forth over who stole whose riffs, you know. <laughs> they, they would, but, yeah, yeah, kind of a cool story, though, how Metallica has been able to uh, bless old Diamond Head with some royalties, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, they, they would be the Pantera exhorter of... Uh, That's what I was thinking about, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Johan, anything to say about Diamond Head? <clears throat> uh, not, I have not heard uh, Diamond Head so much, uh, only through Metallica. Okay. But I will check that album out that is uh, re-recorded. I found it now on uh, Apple Music, so I will check it out. Okay, cool. All right, so number two, the second album by this band, one that I know Johan voted for. So we'll go right back to Johan with this one. It is the self-titled debut by Iron Maiden. <laughs> yeah, have you heard it? A few times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, no, it's... Uh, of course, uh, 10 out of 10 album. My favorite, uh, one of my favorite Maiden albums. Uh, the song Prowler is uh, still to this day. Uh, it's so raw, so punky and energy, you know, the energy. Um, Remember Tomorrow, Transylvania. I mean, that album is absolutely fantastic. I think there's been a lot said about this album uh so i will not repeat it but yeah great great album okay um so you so you like paul diano's um prowler better than the bruce prowler that they re-recorded as a b-side years later <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's just something so raw about that opening riff where well, it's two guitars because it's the Dave Murray with the wah and it's Dennis Stratton with the uh, the strumming along there. There's just something again to the feel and the way that they play the stuff. You know, it's not something overly technical, but there's just something magical about that. So I, mm. I what you're saying I prefer Killers, but I get why a lot of people love this album as well. Um, Ed, what do you think about this album? Yeah, this is my favorite of the two. Uh, okay. Not a bad minute on this record. Um, and uh, yeah, Prowler, you know, anytime I just think of Iron Maiden, for some reason, my brain goes to that opening riff. You know, it's just the way they open that album, You, they make a statement on who Iron Maiden is within seconds. Right. And then they, uh, they tell you the rest of the story, the rest of the way through. And, the, the whole journey is is uh, is is great. That's that's interesting because this song has so many twists and turns to it, so many different parts to it. The soloing, the after the soloing, where you know there's the the where they continue speeding up and with Paul Diano singing before we kind of wrap it back up with you know that opening riff again. It makes you think. 
They don't need to write an 18 minute song to do all that stuff. How long is Prowler? Four minutes and something, probably. Well, three yeah, minutes fifty-six. Three minutes fifty-six. There you go. It's even less than what I said. You don't need all this fucking mindless meandering for Iron Maiden to put out a good song. You know, I don't mind if there's one to tame a land per album, but if to tame a land is the shortest song off of the album, man, there's something, something's missing in my opinion. But, um, uh, Brad, uh, obviously you talked about the fact that this album wasn't available at first. I, I had Gene Hoagland tell me the whole story about coming across, uh, James Hetfield who had, he had made his own t-shirt of the first Iron Maiden album cover. And it was all just black t-shirt and white ink. And he's, he talked about that, how album wasn't available. So he had it on import. Like he thought it was his very own special, you know, Oh my God, another guy who knows Iron Maiden. So you live that as well, where out there in Southern California, unless you knew somebody or had it on import, you didn't know who Iron Maiden was. Yeah, I, I can't. I wish I could remember exactly when I found the first album. Um, I think even the the live EP came out mm-hmm. in, in my stores before the first album was available. So I had to hear those songs first live, and that that probably kind of spoiled me a bit because you know hearing them live and then going back and getting the album later, I like the live versions better. So okay. that kind of that kind of crossed me up on that. Yeah. R- running free off of that, for example, I've played a million times. I love yeah. the studio version, but again, there's just something to made in Japan. Yep. With how they were playing it. That it just, I, yeah, yeah. It's, cool. that's a really great, I, I, I was really pissed off cause I'm like, I want more. How come it wasn't an album? How come it's just an EP? Oh, it's out there. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, it is now. It wasn't back then. Wow. But here's the real question. How is it that we're doing a list here that Iron Maiden's not number one? <laughs> How is that even possible? I, um, yes and no. Oh, we're going to find out. We're going to find out who's number one. Yeah. Jeremy, is it anything? Gonna be, is it going to be the live EP? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Jeremy, any, anything you want to add to this? Well, just that it was the first um, album that I'd ever heard by Iron Maiden. I obviously got into Iron Maiden with Running Free, the single. Um, And it was a sort of a bridging point for me between punk and metal. Um, You know, it had that sort of punky quality to it. But, you know, as you guys have said, Prowler, what a great song. What a great introduction to to the album. Um, But um, there were other great songs on there as well. And and it stands up as, you know, one of the great new album albums. And it shows the talent that Iron Maiden had from the off. Uh, You know, you could hear that sort of, you could hear the bass, you could hear the guitars, uh, and that kind of style that Iron Maiden have got, you know, which they carried on and, and on into on their other albums. And you say about the, you know, there were shorter songs on there, but there was one song which was seven minutes long, I think. Um, and, um, you know, it was, a, it was a great song, uh, which was, of course, Phantom of the Opera. Uh, and, um, you know, it sort of set the scene that for the sort of long songs that they would do later on in their career, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. Um 
and it was just great. It had everything. I mean, they had the they had the logo, they had Eddie, they had you know great music. Um, uh, they just needed to really. Um, they just needed to mould their music a little bit more. They needed to to um, to advance a little bit more, and mature, and that's all that they needed to do, which they did. Yeah. Yes, they did. So, number one, any guess as to what number one might be, Brad? You said uh, it's not Iron Maiden. So, what do you think it is? I don't know. I'm. I'm. Let me look at my list here. Oh, Praying Mantis. No. Okay. <laughs> Johan, what do you think number one is? High and Dry. Oh. Jeremy? High and Dry. Ed? High and Dry. <laughs> Brad, you still sticking with Praying Mantis? <laughs> <laughs> no. I don't know why I didn't include Def Leppard in this. Probably I, I, I would only consider their first album being new album, and I probably would have put that on my list, but I didn't. Okay. So, I don't know. High and, does, High and Dry doesn't sound new album. As Jeremy? as per Martin Popoff, On Through the Night, in his opinion, is the greatest new wave of British heavy metal album. It's a good one. It, it yeah. It's but they good. totally they totally deviated from that album on High and Dry. Yeah, it's good, but it's not the number one album, which is High and Dry. Def <sighs> uh, Leppard beating out Iron Maiden on a Signals from Mars list. But this that sounds, like, I, that sounds like heresy. <laughs> <laughs> this album is just so good. It is so strong. It is my favorite Def Leppard album. It is an album. That I still re- listen to religiously all the time. Uh, it is just that good, and it's it's so interesting to think how similar to what we mentioned about Iron Maiden. A lot of people did not check High and Dry out until Pyromania came out, especially in the U.S. because Pyromania was so big, it went back. And they re-released it with uh, Me and My Wine and with a U.S. variation of Bring It On a Heartbreak, which is slightly different. Um, so this album, to me, is, is by far the best thing they've ever done. I love the first three albums, by far, to me, the best things that they've done. But this one, to me, stands out above them. Um Brad, you were the only one that didn't have high and dry. What are your thoughts on high and dry? I love it. I it's it's a it's I agree with you. It's their best album. Okay, uh, Jeremy, why would you give us a reason as to why Brad is wrong in his assessment as to this not being a a new Wabam album? Why is it a new Wabam album? Well, it was it was very early in in Def Leppard's career. So uh, first of all, you'd have to have an album that's quite early in in the band's careers. Uh, it came out at the right time for New Album. Um, it was Def Leppard during their heavy metal era because afterwards they they really weren't a heavy metal band and they aren't now, but they were then. Uh, and it showed a progression from the first album, um, which was you know 
you know, it was the first album. Obviously, was a you know a great heavy uh, heavy metal album and a great new album album. But this one was you know just so better produced. Um, that's right, Joe Elliott. Yeah, he, he said they never were, but but they were. I mean, he's wrong. <laughs> he doesn't want them to be because he wants them to be you know a, a just seen as a pop rock band. Um, but obviously their poppy melodic uh, songs were coming through on this album, but it was still, you know, for me, it was a new album album. It was, um, you know, it was all talked about with, with Maiden and Saxon and all those bands. Um, and it's just got fantastic songs on, but the main thing about it is the production without the production. It, we wouldn't be talking about it today. Right. Well, here's the thing. They always like to say, or Joe Elliott likes to say, that they were influenced by David Bowie, the sweet bands like that. And as a result, they're not a new wave of British heavy metal band, which to me is nonsense because the Beatles were Black Sabbath's biggest influence. And when you listen to Sabbath, you don't exactly think Beatles right away. Definitely not in the first few albums. So I think to me that's that's hogwash. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't get why they have this reaction where they just want to turn away from what got you know what helped get their foot in the door basically. Yeah, but you have to remember that they also sold out to the UK as well. I mean, they went to America. They wanted to be a big thing in America. They didn't want to be a big thing in the UK. Um, they're happy to be a big thing in the UK now and, and to sell out arenas. <laughs> but at the time, you know, they, they, you know, from the third album onwards and probably, you know, High and Dry just sort of lifted them into that a little bit. Um, you know, they, they wanted to be this American poppy rock band uh, and make a huge amount of money out of it even with the union jack shorts and and shirts yeah they were they were they were saying to america we're great we're british but they weren't saying it to the british audience they were turning their backs on us and and that's why we a lot of people in the uk turn their back on them you know i remember a lot of people who were into new album who um never listened to def leppard again uh because you know they they sold out so, so would this album be the turning point? Would this yeah. be the end in the UK for a lot of people? Yeah, it was the end for me until uh, a lot later on when I went back and listened to some of the Def Leppard stuff and I thought, yeah, Pyroman is a decent album. It is good. I know Ed loves it. Uh, we've heard Ed mention this before. He, he's a massive fan of this album. And and that's the, that's the right thing to say because it is a great album. But at the time, you know, you're living through it at the time, uh, they, they sold out and, and a lot of people in the UK – uh, rejected them they wanted to listen to motorhead they want to listen to status quo you know proper uh, genuine rock bands from the uk that um you know they didn't they didn't want to they didn't want to go to the us and and be a big thing yeah so uh oh caroline was that's the <laughs> oh, oh, oh caroline over um oh, 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 over uh, pour some sugar on me <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll, we'll need to address status quo, status quo, or however you want to pronounce it <laughs> yeah. someday, but not, not today. But. Okay. <laughs> Johan, high and dry. Yeah. I mean, great. 
there's such a great songs on it. Uh, of course, it's poppy, but I like it that way. I discovered Pyromania first and went back to this one. Uh, and back then, I didn't uh, think so highly of it. But uh, now, when I'm kind of grown up, uh, I love it. So many, many good songs. And I mean, Bringing on the Heartbreak is... Uh, Still one of my live favorite songs by Def Leppard. Uh, I'm, I like ballads. So uh, that's a great power ballad. And the song uh, Mirror Mirror uh, is amazing. So ah, great album and uh, a worthy winner of today's new album list, I think. Yeah, they they almost doubled albums two and three in points. So that's how much outside of Brad. See, I didn't need to vote for him. People love this album. Uh, Ed, high and dry. Yeah, like Jeremy said, Pyromania is my ultimate Def Leppard record. But High and Dry, you know, is a close second. It's a perfect hard rock record. Um, the songwriting is incredible. You know, every song is, is good. The production is great. Um, you know, it's got a little darker, more hard rock feel to it than Pyromania does. Um, the, you know, the guitar playing is excellent. Uh, you may not notice it. Uh, just being a listener, but they pack a lot of riffs into those songs. Yeah. Uh, there's, it's, it's a lot like a thrash metal song is structured, like a Metallica tune, where they're taking uh, multiple riffs and making a song that's kind of taking you on a, a good journey from start to finish. And uh, I probably listen to this record more now because uh, when it comes to guitar playing, I love playing a lot of the songs on this record uh, because they're both challenging and fun. And um, you, yeah, you just couldn't say enough good, good things about the songwriting on this album. Who was the other, uh, Pete Wilson. Uh, he, Wilson. No, he was, his recording is on this record, am I correct? Yeah. Well, is is Pete, it Pete Wilson on this record? It's Pulling? Pete Willis. He's he or, or Pete, Willis, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. He played on the first three albums, actually. He plays on, he's on every song on Pyromania as well. But uh, he doesn't do the leads on Pyromania. No, I that's the think. only thing he doesn't do on Pyromania. Yeah. That's what they brought Phil Collin yeah. in for. Because I, like, I like Phil Collin a lot. His playing is great. The solos were incredible on Pyromania. But yeah, the guitar playing on High and Dry is, is, is awesome too. And, like Johan said, it definitely deserves a number one spot. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we just brought up Pete Willis. I, I think the band really lost their bite losing Steve Clark. But you could say, because Pete Willis didn't play on Hysteria, he played on the first three. You, you could say that they lost the meat and potatoes of the band when Pete Willis left, you know, and he was kicked yes, out sir. because let, let's, let's be honest. 
You did on through the night. Iron Drive, Pyromania. They got a lot, a lot, a lot poppier after he left the band. So that kind of ACDC-ish like edge that the band had was almost gone once he was gone. You know, so there's there's a lot to be said with that. Um, real quickly here. So I tallied up. I did a top 10 based on what bands got voted for the most. And because we had several bands that had multiple albums that were voted for. So what I did was I did a top 10 tallying all the points bands received. So uh, real quickly with this, if we do that, Tokyo Blade would be number 10. Samson would be number nine. Grim Reaper, number eight. Raven, seven. A band that um, Jeremy would disqualify. Fastway at number six. <laughs> Venom at five. Diamond Head at four. And the top three would be Saxon, Def Leppard, and Iron Maiden would be number one. Not by <laughs> much, but Iron Maiden did it with two albums versus Def Leppard's one album. So I'm feeling so, better about us now. <laughs> you're feeling better that Iron Maiden still came out on top. Yes. So, um, but again, let's. It's 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 not by much separating the two. By far, those are the two most voted for bands. Def Leppard did it with one album, and Iron Maiden did it with two. And it wasn't by that big of a. There's a six point difference, and there's a much bigger gap between two and three than there is one and two. So, there's that. Um, for anyone that has not given any of these bands a shot, I'm going to put a playlist up that's going to go with the uh, post for this episode. So check that playlist out. It'll be Spotify or uh, Apple Music. Definitely a lot of good music there. Unfortunately, I can't find the Dumpy's Rusty Nuts uh track that was suggested <laughs> but uh, I will do my best with what's available on streaming. Alright, who voted for that? <laughs> that was Mike Jones actually. Oh cool, well Mike Jones should get out here and explain himself <laughs> Yeah I was hoping he would be here to talk about them but it is what it is but uh, in any event, I do want to thank Jeremy, Johan, Brad and Ed for joining us, I want to thank um, uh, both uh, Brad and Ed's canines for joining us in the background as well, adding some uh, action. Um, Johan's son's always uh, peeking in and saying hello from time to time. Yes, yes, wow. he was here today as well. Yes, yeah. So it's it's always fun to see what else is going on in the background uh, while we while we're doing these episodes. So. Uh, thank you all of you guys for being here. Thank you, uh, Anthony, who has been in the chat mentioning different things. We have other people that have been in the chat all this time. 
whoever you people are out there, thank you for for hanging in and, and watching this. Um, for those that listen to the podcast or watch the replay, thank you guys as well. Uh, we will be back next week with an interview with uh, Jason McMaster and Dan Lorenzo, who will be joining us live for the last half hour of the show. Uh, some of these lovely faces will be back next week as well, I'm assuming. We'll, we'll pick some stuff to talk about. And um, we have to do our year-end episode as well. So uh, we have to start working on our albums of 2022. We'll have to set a date for that. Uh, on that note, we bid you guys farewell. Thanks once again. And uh, we'll see you next time right here on Signals from Mars. Thank you for listening to the Signals from Mars podcast. You can subscribe to the show on all your favorite podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, and more. Go to SignalsFromMars.com for more information. This concludes our show. 